Well, good morning, everyone. Um, I'll certainly try to be the closer. I don't know what kind of closer I am, but we'll see, right? Um, yeah, it is with uh, our hearts are heavy this morning, um, but uh, James has specifically directed me to distract you and to arrest your attention um, because this time is really for the Lord. That's how the shins want it, that uh, this time is for the Word of God to be exalted, for Christ to be honored, for all of us, you know, as a church to, yeah, in the storms of life, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of your own personal struggles, in the midst of your own personal um, sorrows and heartaches, even disappointments, even sufferings, right in the thick of things, right, to, to press on by clinging on to Christ and uh, finding Him to be uh, all that you need for everything in your life. And so, you know, we just, uh, con- I, I, I wanted to personally continue, uh, not break off and, uh, and do another study, and just uh, stick with Titus 2, stick with older men. And so that's where we land. And we find ourselves at the very last characteristic um, of older men. So if you want to turn to Titus 2, Titus 2, verse 2, and uh, we've read this passage in, uh, you know, the last, <clears throat> what, this is now the fifth week, last four weeks and counting. Um, these words, you know, have become a uh, common, you know, part of our jargon. I hear guys talking about, oh, that's not dignified, that's not sensible, that's not temperate. But, you know, a lot of times they're just joking around about it. So, we're trying to work on that, right? Now, verse 2 very simply says, older men are to be temperate. Dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older men. Have you ever felt really old? I don't know if if you've ever had one of those moments where... (laughs) Sorry, it's a rough transition, right? Um, Have you ever felt really, just like really old? Like, uh, I don't mean... You know, when I I was a camp counselor once and... uh, these kids came straight from Korea, and they were really young, and I was like eight years older than them, and I felt really old. But I don't mean that kind of uh, feeling. That's, that's like an obvious, natural kind of a thing. But like an awkward moment where you shouldn't feel old, but then you do feel old. All right, let me give an illustration. So, um, a few months ago, I was at, I was at uh, a brother's house, who shall remain nameless. But it's a good story. It's not a bad story. So I was at his house, and uh, we were there alone. It was just him and me, and we were just hanging around, doing whatever we were doing. And um, it was about 8 o'clock, 8.30, parents came in. And so, you know, when Korean, in Korean culture, parents come in, you want to get up, you want to do inside, you want to bow, you want to be... Like, I, st- I, got it little, I got a little tense. So, you know, Peter... Oh, sorry, did I give it away? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. We were in that country, that big Asian country, that uh, that big Asian. Um, so this nameless brother, you know, he was really gracious and kind to me. He said, "Oh no, don't worry, you know, it's okay, you know, my parents are cool, whatever." So yeah, I got up, you know, do your formal thing, and uh, and then so Peter, uh, so <laughs> nameless brother introduces me, and so. I'm always interested in to, as how I will be introduced to parents. Just, you know, I don't know. It's just one of those things. So, nameless brother goes to parents and says, 
Oh, you know, parents first go, oh, who's this? Nameless brother says, oh, this is, uh, you know, Chingu, this is my friend, Jason. Uh, and then, and then he doesn't stop there. He's a Moksanim, right? He's pastor. And so they're like, oh, pastor. Oh, you know, like, why didn't you tell us you were coming? Like, we could have cleaned up the house. We could have done this. And, you know, his mom kind of felt like, like, you know, a little bit embarrassed, like a little ashamed. I'm like, oh, no, it's okay. You know, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm here. It's all good. You don't have to. I felt for like that moment, I felt like 60, 70 years old. And, you know, so I, we go back into Nameless Brother's room and like, you know, mom's like, oh, would you like anything? I'm like, oh, no, it's okay. And so moments later, they had just gotten home from work. I know they drive, you know, have a long commute. They must be tired. They, they, they bring up all this fruit and, you know, try to cater to me. And I'm like, oh, no, it's okay. I just feel really bad. And that's my story of how I felt really old. At <laughs> Peter O. here, nameless brother's house. And as I was leaving, they were like bowing. And I was like, oh, man. I said, Peter, man, man, your parents made me feel really old today. And I felt, a, a, but at the same time, I felt a measure of like respect. I felt weirdly dignified, like I've never felt in my entire life. And I was like, wow, I like Peter O's parents. And so, no, <clears throat> for that moment, I felt really dignified, really sensible, really temperate. Um, and uh, yeah, so now we're going to study the, the, the last characteristics, the last part of this. And um, really... I just wanted to use that illustration kind of as a bridge to remind us that it's, it's, it's really key that Paul begins with older men. It's key for many reasons, but the main reason that it's key is because, right, it's, it's because showing reverence and honor and respect, you know, giving, you know, giving what's due to the aged um, is eminently biblical, right? When you know your place, right, in a family, in a society, in a church, you know, when you meet someone, you just you, you see who he is, who or she is, and you respond appropriately. That's proper, right? That's that's respectable. You know, when you meet an older woman, like a widow, let's say, and you act your age and you show her proper respect and deference, that's good. That's right. It, it fits. It makes sense. You know, in chapter one, he's just gone over the importance of instituting church leaders and about rejecting and fighting false doctrine. And it starts with sound leadership. Obviously, most, if not all, of the sound leadership at that time would have been older men, right? Would have been older men. You would have to take from the pool of older men, the godliest men, the, the, the choice men, to put at the top a church leadership, an eldership. So because of that, it just makes a natural transition, a natural biblical transition, a very commonsensical transition to go into older men. And so we're going to study these three areas of being sound, these three areas of soundness, right? these three areas of soundness, particularly for older men, but I think these qualities, right? unlike the, the, the qualities that are there for the women, these, for the men at least, are equally transferable to men, women, children. All of us here at Cornerstone can benefit and must benefit and will benefit from uh, taking on these characteristics, these virtues. We're going to study these three areas of soundness and, you know, seek to measure up to it to a certain degree. And we pray and hope by the time that, you know, we as a church, but particularly we as men, become older men, and I'm speaking 
really at myself being a, in many ways somewhere in between older and younger, uh, that we will, as uh, time goes on, become the kind of older men that Paul instructs us to be. So we just had a brief recap, right, of what's, uh, what Paul has gone over thus far. Paul is instructing Titus to speak the things that accord, that agree, that fit, that match, whatever word you want to use there, the proper word, uh, sound doctrine. He wants a marriage of theology and life. A marriage of practice and doctrine. Faith and its working out. A marriage. And anything less than that union, Paul is saying, is just this shallow, ungodly, um, you know, church-weakening substitute for the real thing. And, uh, you know, when you have one without the other, the church is bound to be ruined. The church will be hurt. And married people, you know what that's like. I think particularly for wives, they might feel the ache uh, more deeply when your husbands are away, right? And you say, ah, where's, you know, if a husband, let's say husband's doctrine and wife is faith, faith says, man, where's doctrine? It, it hurts when he's not here. He's gone for a three-day business trip. He's gone for, you know, two weeks on a mission trip, whatever it may be. He's gone overnight. And uh, it hurts, right? You miss him. Likewise, in the Christian life, faith and doctrine, husband and wife, you've got to put them together. When they're not together, it looks gross. It looks wrong, right? Not, not, don't move that back into the husband and wife role. I'm just saying, with faith and practice, when they're not together, right, it just doesn't make sense. Something is off. Something is out of joint, right? Same, the same holds true in the Christian life. And so, Paul begins with older men. Unfortunately, a message like this and our emphasis on the dignity of older men, the dignity of age and um, showing reverence for age is so countercultural. It's so backwards in our society. Um, you know, youth is all the rage. I don't have to give you any examples. You know, not just even being young, but just youth culture. You know, uh, Pastor James talked about this a few weeks ago about, you know, the arrested development of men, how men, adult essence, that term, how men are being held back and kept in adolescence. They're in their 20s and 30s and 40s, and they're still going out and buying video games and acting 10, 20 years uh, younger than they really are, right? Youth culture being marketed, being promoted. You know, history, you think about what's, what's, what's like, what's young people's view of what, uh, what is historical, right? You know, history nowadays is, you know, if you bring back something from the 80s and you wear it today, that's historical, right? If a rap song samples some classical music or something from the 70s, man, that's historical. Man, that's from the 70s? That's 30 years ago, right? Um, after Shaquille O'Neal called uh, Phil Jackson a Benedict Arnold, they interviewed Phil Jackson and said, what do you think about that comment? He said, you know, I don't know. I asked, I told my teammates uh, what, you know, I asked my teammates who Benedict Arnold was and most of my teammates, uh, most of my team didn't even know who Benedict Arnold was. And so Phil Jackson's like, what are they teaching in school these days, right? That they don't even know Benedict Arnold. Even Shaq knows Benedict Arnold. Right? So youth is like energy and youth is strength and... You know, it's like young bucks, stallions, and age is wisdom, and age is fortitude, age is, um, you know, something quiet and calm and serene and peaceful. And, you know, sometimes we get enamored with the outside very easily, and youth wins out, right? And that's a worldly mentality. The Bible says the veteran should win out. The veteran does win out. And he does so because, as Titus 2 will tell, tell us, 
He's cultivated a lifetime of character. And not a week, not just a year, but a whole life of these traits. He has um, matured into them. He has developed them. He has refined them. And he is a true godly Renaissance man. Well then, let's take a closer look at the three areas of being sound. Pretty simple. Sound faith, love, perseverance. The first is sound in faith. Sound in faith. Paul calls on older men to be sound in these three key spiritual areas. The first is faith. And right off the bat, I think what's the best thing about uh, this part of Titus 2 is that what makes a godly older man a godly older man, right, is spiritual excellence. Right? It's spiritual excellence. It's something on the inside, of course, that does manifest itself on the outside, but it's something about his heart. It's something about his character right, that's being refined and honed over the years. Spiritual excellence. If you want to be this kind of man, then you have to sow seeds now. Seeds of temperance, dignity, sensibility, soundness in these three areas. And then 10, 20, 30, 40, Lord willing, 50 years from now, God will do an awesome work of grace as he grows and brings to maturity that right fruit, the right fruit of a you know, a consistent, uh, consistent Christian character. And that is the call for men to sow these seeds right here, right now. Interestingly, unlike those other qualities that he's just gone over, when Paul begins this one as saying sound, it's not an adjective. It's not an adjective. It's a participle. And so what that means is this. You can, you can read it this way. You know, temperate, dignified, sensible, by being sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. So, the, so, so what Paul is getting at is, you want to be temperate, you want to be dignified, you want to be sensible, you want to be sober, clear-headed, level-minded, then you will be sound in faith, love, and perseverance. That leads you to temperance, that leads you to being sensible, that leads you to being dignified. It will bring about all the others that have come before it, if you focus on, the, on these three areas by being sound in them. The word sound, same word found in verse 1 for sound doctrine. It's used very often in Paul's letters, uh, in the pastoral letters. just literally means healthy. Right? Healthy, it's viable, it's living, it has life, that has energy and activity in it. So men, particularly older men, are called to have healthy faith. Not just healthy doctrine, right? but healthy faith, strong faith, viable faith. And trust, as with love and perseverance, then must continue to and can increase over time. So, a man who is sound, right? A man who is sound in this area, you know, he trusts God implicitly without questioning Him. He doesn't doubt God, right? He doesn't have one foot in the promises of this world and it's, you know, promise of instant gratification and, you know, one foot in the promises of God. He has his whole body. He's plunged in to trust, all of it, in the waters of trust. And, you know, he's not sinking. He's not drowning. He's swimming well. And he doesn't need your help. Right? He doesn't need your help. He's the one that looks at us as younger men flopping around in the water and says, you know what? I'll take care of you. Get on my back and we'll swim back to shore. That's the kind of man that's, that's been, uh, that Paul is describing here. Sound in faith. 
He's a man that you can trust. He's a man that's reliable. He's a man that's there. And not just there like, man, this old guy's just there. But he is there with a strong and active presence from a lifetime of having given everything over to the Lord. Any fear that he's had in his youth, any anxieties and worries, they've all been swallowed up by a deep abiding confidence in God. Because this kind of an older man, you know, it's taken them, it's, it's taken him through, uh, that, that, that faith has taken them through every hindrance, every hindrance to joy and satisfaction in Christ alone. It's taken th- them through, you know, the valley of death. It's, it's taken them through every possible distressing circumstance. It's, you know, taken them through all of that. And so the courage that this kind of man, the, the, the spiritual courage that he gains from that, you know, it turns around and immediately emboldens all of us. Right? Emboldens others to trust God and His Word in the face of life's unknowns, you know, life's vicissitudes. You know, when everything inside of us says don't, and when everything inside of us says walk away, when everything inside of us says, God, I, I don't know about this. God, I don't know if I can trust you in this situation. When everything is telling you to quit, to give up, his faith is worthy of emulation. His faith carries the church. And you know, such bravery, it holds churches together. It holds families together. You know, it holds societies and governments together. Nothing like a leader who's cool under fire because he has an unwavering faith in the unwavering God of the Scriptures. In Romans 4, 20-21, Paul describes a man like this, and it's Abraham, and he writes this, Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20, Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but instead, what? He grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, you know, God was able also to perform. Unwavering, growing strong, fully assured, giving glory to God. Like Abraham, you know, sound in faith men, sound in faith Christians, believe and know that God is sovereign and that His will always works itself out in the end, first for God's glory, right? and then, but then also for our ultimate good. And they don't doubt the validity of Scripture's claims. When they've lost jobs, when they've lost loved ones, when they've lost family members, when they've suffered persecution, they held fast to Christ. And they've walked by faith and not by sight. And you know what happens when that happens? You obtain a good testimony before the world. Hebrews 11.2 When you have that kind of faith, you obtain a good testimony before the world. These kind of men have seen the gospel come and save They've seen newborn Christians, newborn babes in Christ become mature men and women of the faith. They've watched, sadly, people rely on their feelings, on other people, on programs, on institutions, even you know, secular philosophy and everything else, and seen the desperate and utter misery of that kind of idolatry. These kind of men have, man, they've prayed countless nights with watchfulness and alertness agonizing over many petitions and many people believing in the goodness of God to answer in His own good time and seeking wisdom from above so that they would have joy in the midst of their numerous trials, both big and small, at the expense 
right, at the expense of their own personal comfort and convenience. Through all of this kind of godly man's sin, you know, through his temptations, through all his repentances and recommitments and rededications, you know, all of those Romans 12, 1 to 2 moments that he's had, these kind of men have taken up the shield of faith time and time, time, and time again, have been able to resist the devil, resist the evil one and his fiery darts that are out there all the time seeking to hit him and get him discouraged, get him not to trust in God, get him to turn his back on Christ. They've experienced over and over again the Father to be faithful, to shepherd them by His Word. They've experienced again and again Christ's merits are sufficient for them in their sins and their weaknesses. And that the Spirit's power is more than adequate to conform them and to conform the church and each and every one of us to Christ's inner likeness because that is God's plan of redemption. And put it in a nutshell, they've had a front row seat for decades to the Word of God proving itself over and over again with 100% accuracy. And it's really sad. You know, you've all heard or uh, maybe known of uh, older men who've exhausted and spent their lives, um, you know, doing everything. Kind of like, <clears throat> kind of like Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11, Solomon says, you know, I exhausted myself on all the pleasures of the world. I built this. I did that. You know, those kind of men, if you've ever read any um, uh, stories, and they come to the end of their lives and they've spent all their money, spent their time, spent their bodies, everything on pursuing, um, you know, selfish lusts, pursuing pleasures to the to the bitter end. And they're one of either one of two things when they come to the end of their lives. Either they're jaded and tired of life, they become bitter and skeptical, or they're hungry to do more, but recognizing that the end is near and they have no hope, no confidence in the eternal life, they're either scared about the end or they've become very hard. You know, you've met these men, they're very stoic and they will face death and enter into eternity as if they had some control in the matter. Older men who have experienced life, however, with a healthy, growing faith, right, come to the end and they are full, full of that, having been near to God for many years, that nearness to God, that, that, they've got that aura about them, right, it rubs off on you. And they have a longing to be with the Lord. Like, they're close and they want to go home. They want to be translated. They want to, you know, they've been groaning for years and years and years, right? And they want to be clothed with their new bodies. And they want their souls to be perfected. They want to be with Jesus Christ. When you want this kind of faith, you want this kind of resolute, unwavering faith, it can't be manufactured. You know, you, you can't, like, just muster it up somewhere. And, you know, it can't be, and this is our youth culture again, it can't be accessed via some spiritual shortcut. There's no, like, easy way to get at this kind of faith, right? Because it's older men, right? And it doesn't just happen somehow, like, with a zap. It's not about how much experience a sound and faith guy has accumulated. It's not about how much service you or I have given to the church, how many sermons you've listened to, you know, how good you've been. It ultimately rests, simply put, on a lifetime of exposure to the truth, but also a dogged and persistent application of it to life. 
And so you'll never see a more stable marriage of doctrine and, and practice than in a man who is sound of faith. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 16.13, he tells them, Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. In verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. And so you can be strong, you can be men, but do everything in love. That's the second trait here. He is sound in love. He's sound in love. Healthy love. Right? Healthy in love. You know, women are called to love their children and husbands in this text. Men are just called to love. It is a general call. And that you've all seen um, different versions of the Titanic. You've read maybe um, some, some uh, accounts of shipwrecks. I don't know if you're into that, but they're, they're out there. Um, you've read and heard about it. Maybe some other disasters, burning buildings, something along that line, right? So as the boat is, is sinking and breaking apart, Right, what's the immediate, like spontaneous call of the ship's officers? What do they say? Yeah, women and children first. But the women and children first. Except for that, you know, that one Billy Zane character. Anyway, women and children first, right? Women and children to the, to the lifeboats, right? Get them in first. Men, we'll see about, you know, what's left over, right? Women and children first. And so, when you read accounts like that, when you watch that, when you see something like that, I don't know about you, but I, I you know, I, I, I look at my wife, I look at myself, and I go, I don't know if I can do that. I mean, I'm being honest here. I'm like, man, at the moment of like sheer terror, can I, can I do it? <laughs> my wife is like, no, can you do it? Come on, man, right? Can you, can you honestly say women and children first and like, just like with dignity die? I don't know. Give me 20 years and I'll be more dignified. But I read accounts like, and then like World War II stories, you've seen Band of Brothers and, you know, No Man Left Behind, Black Hawk Down, uh, you know, Saving Pirate. You've seen, and those are true stories, like in uh, Black Hawk Down, Band of Brothers, guys going back, guys being dropped into enemy lines saying, there's two of them, like in Black Hawk Down, and they say, yeah, we know what we're going into. We know we're probably going to die, but as long as we've got life and breath, we're going to fight. We're going to fight for this guy that's injured in the helicopter that's crashed. That's crazy, you know? Like, you know, in Banner Brothers, like people going out back into, you know, the firing range, basically, to bring back someone who's been shot, right? Who's not dead yet. It's like, he's going to die anyway. Why go back? But that's the, that's the dignity of such men. And when we think like that, man, you know, it is the greatest generation, the World War II generation, isn't it? Like, you read those kind of deeds and like, man, these men had such noble sentiments. And... They didn't wear it like a badge of honor, right? You, you watch Vanderbilt. They don't walk. They didn't walk around with a swagger. They didn't walk around with pride, with their heads held up high. They just quietly performed deeds, and that's what made them heroes, right? This genuine, this kind of lowly, like everyday sense of duty and honor that was such an ingrained part of manhood. But only 50 years ago, what's happened? When you transfer that into the biblical realm, into the spiritual realm. And you have a man who has a vibrant and fresh love for God, for others, who dies to self so that others might live. Just like Christ. He asks for nothing in return. Right? He doesn't go out into the firing range and say, you know, keep me alive as well. Like, bring me back. He just goes out there and brings the guy back. He considers it a privilege to be devoted to one another in brotherly love and to give preference to one another in honor, Romans 12.10. It's 
I'm going to outdo you in giving you honor. I'm going to be totally committed to you in showing brotherly love. He understands, right? He understands that what's everything in Christ is this faith working through love and then love working through serving one another. Galatians 5, 6, Galatians 5, 13. Faith first, right? Faith manifested through love. And that love definitely has to be active, reaching out. And there's three characteristics of this kind of love that's sound, that's healthy, that's viable. And I'll say this first is it's a love that grows. You know, he's a generous man. He's, he's got a big heart. Generous of spirit. John MacArthur said, you know, the saddest thing that he, he sees in, as, he's get, as he gets old, right, is a grumpy old man. Bitter, selfish old man. A grumpy old man. But this kind of man, sound in love, he's not bitter about life. He's not, you know, irritable. He's not withdrawn and self-absorbed. He doesn't, like, wallow in his regrets. Because all along the way, he's made positive decisions. Positive decisions to love and enjoy God and to love and serve others like Christ does to the church. You know, Matthew um, twenty-four twelve, Christ describes the conditions during the tribulation after a church is raptured, he says, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But not so with this man. Year after year, his love grows warmer, it grows stronger, and more sacrificial, not only as time goes by, but as difficulties mount up. Right? As impossibilities present themselves to him. He's even more generous and more big-hearted and having done that over the years, guess what? His capacity to love becomes greater than, than it ever was in the, in, the, in the fiery passion and zeal of his youth. Because life will disappoint, and people will disappoint, you know, ministry will disappoint, even friends, even family will disappoint, but as this man, as his faith grows, love for people increases, and he just doesn't sit around waiting to be served and spoon-fed. In a sense, just, I mean, I don't mean to be crude, but just waiting to die. As long as life and breath are in him, he's the one taking steps to initiate service. He's the one saying, look, I'm going to offer my time, my energies, and my presence. Secondly, it's a steadfast, it's a love that's steadfast. It's a love that's steadfast. And because of the kind of man he is, we talk about love that grows, you know, it's obvious that we can say that his love isn't tied to emotions, isn't tied to circumstances. His love springs out of his will, out of a deliberate commitment to serve others. Right? It's an active verb right? to love. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like, I don't know if this is a male thing or what, but our affections, you know, our likes, dislikes, they're so prone to being distracted, right? You, you, you go from like one day to loving like boba, next day, oh, it's all about like, I don't know, whatever Starbucks drink there is. You know, one day it's like, you know, one week, one year, it's all about, you know, PCs. Next year, man, did you see what the Mac has? And then you switch over, you know, you, you, you love the iPod and you're using it. But then the Zune or something else better comes out and your affection swing all the way over here. I remember it was a as a boy, as a youth, like, for like months and months and months, I was like really into dogs. I like dogs a lot. I, I checked out books on dogs. I mean, I love dogs. Like, I, 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 one time I tried to get my 
my parents to buy me a dog, like, so stupid. I, I opened up all these books, like, on my desk, to, do- you know, to pages of the books on dogs that I got in the library. And I, I fell asleep on the book. I fell asleep on the book, so my parents would come in and go, Man, he loves dogs, we gotta get him a dog. But then, like, a year later, a year later, it wasn't dogs anymore. It was, like, it was, I don't know, kung fu or something, like, and I wanted, like, the ninja clothes, right? And the ninja shoes. And, like, every month, right? Not just year. Every month, I just swayed back and forth, and my affections were all over the place. They were scattered. And it just meant that I really didn't like any one thing. I was just, you know, curious and fickle. Right? But when you're talking about this kind of love, sound, uh, a sound love, a healthy, viable love, there's no... A uh, fair weather kind of bandwagon love with this man, and that's a part of just growing up and getting older. I think that when you're lo- when you're young, you show love in a very fickle way, right? Uh, someone does nice things for you, you return the favor. Someone harms you, you harm them, or at least you avoid them. But as we get older, hopefully our love is more or less steadfast, committed, unwavering. Right? There's an integrity that's being built into our love. And so, you know, when our lives are hard, love is there, right? It doesn't diminish difficulties increase. Uh, it, 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 it's not just all great when situation in life is great, but whatever life throws at us, love stays the same. But sadly, you know, too often, when our lives are hard, when we're inconvenienced, we don't want to then add another inconvenience, quote-unquote, and we think of it that way to our lives to make time for love. We want to be served, right? That's our default mode. We want to, we want to get, we want to have the attention. We want someone to come and give us a hug, you know, put their arms around their shoulders and, uh, you know, listen to us spill our guts, right? We begrudgingly serve others when life is like that. We back away from life and from others. We crave attention. We crave gifts, right? But men sound in faith like Christ are sound in love. They make Sure, others are taken care of when their own needs are not met. That's what Christ did on the cross. Remember? Took care of the thief. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Took care of his mother by handing her over to John. In, in a sense, took care of uh, you know, all the world. Um, the, 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 those who were crucifying him. Those who were mocking him. Oh, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And so John 13-17, to 17, the entire upper room discourse is him... For one whole night, lavishly serving and loving, sacrificially, his own apostles and preparing them for their future. The sad thing is, is that Christ is a man. He's a perfect God-man, perfect model for all men. But women tend to do this a lot better. Wouldn't you agree? Especially moms. Moms are really good at loving and sacrificing when their needs are not being met. Mothers are, pro- mothers are pros at this. And so it's really incumbent upon us as men, as we look at Christ, to man, be ashamed and say, there are pressing needs out there. We're not talking about big needs, but there are real needs. There are spiritual needs. There are brothers that you know, need help. There are people that need to be encouraged. People that need to be warned and admonished and rebuked. People that need to be oh, just you know, helped spiritually. People that need to be stimulated and people that need to be stirred up in the faith. That, that for men, like, this is not a soft thing. We need to take care of each other's souls. 
We need to love in deed and truth, not just word only. That is a call for men. Right? That is a call for men. Thirdly, very quickly, it's a love that discriminates. I'm going to brush over this very quickly. It's a love that discriminates. You know, you have a growing love, a steadfast, committed love, but it's a love that discriminates. Again, one of the follies of youth is undiscerning love, undiscerning affections. Your heart kind of everywhere at everything all at once. Right? Back and forth, back and forth. That kind of fluctuation. But a man sound in love has chosen to love some things and chosen not to love other things wisely and soberly because he knows like, you know, I only have this amount of love capital and there's all these, you know, investment opportunities out there. I can't really love and pour out everything into all of these things, right? Because if you're really doing that, then you don't, you know, your heart's not really in anything, right? Because you're just scattered everywhere, right? If you love everything, you love nothing, I mean, if you love, really, if you quote-unquote love everything, then you're wasting your heart, and that's precious. And an older man sound in love understands that, that he cannot just willy-nilly expend and exhaust his heart, his energies, his time on, you know, all the things of life, especially the transient, temporary things of life. He apportions his heart wisely and soberly. All right, let's cut to the third thing, the third trait here. Right? He's sound in faith, sound in love, but he is also sound in perseverance. It seems just natural that he would end on this one. Sound in perseverance. Sound in endurance, in, uh, spiritual stamina. This characteristic makes older men like steel. Their bodies are dying, but their spirits are stronger. Right? You know, with people and with, um, with things in the world... The opposite is always true, pretty much, right? The only things that are older, that are valuable, I guess if you want to call it that way, are um, like collectibles, right? Or collectibles, you know, artworks and things like that, um, antiques. But even them, even like, you know, old artworks that have great value because they're older, rarer, etc., etc., what do you need to do? You need to preserve them. You know, antiques, you need to refurbish them. You need to be gentle with them. You need to handle them carefully. They're fragile, no, not so with older men. Their bodies may be brittle, but their hearts are strong. Their hearts are strong. Not so with older men. Sound and perseverance. They don't need our kid glove treatment. Right? Outer man may look decayed, as Paul says, but their inner man has been renewed day after day, year after year. And it's not just that they're, you know, just old or just because they've experienced a lot that they're godly older men. It's true. It's, I mean, they're older. They've experienced more, but it's also the fact that they're, you know, full of joy when you see them. You don't just see them as an older man, that's it, but they're full of joy. They're full of life. They're, they're full of still fighting for holiness and longing for Christ and to be more like Him. Still seeing sins in their lives, things that need to be dealt with and taken care of. That's what really encourages us about an older man, and that just gives us such comfort. Gives the rest of the church, younger people in the church, such great um, he gives us boldness, gives us confidence that we too can do as he does because he's 60, he's 70, he's 80, doing what we're doing, but even better. In 2 Timothy 4, 5 to 8, you know, the living illustration of this is the Apostle Paul. And in 2 Timothy 4, 5 to 8, Paul says this, final charge to Timothy, but you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry 
For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That is a living demonstration of perseverance, of being sound in perseverance. Not just, man, he's just getting by, persevering, right? Perseverance is a huge evidence, a mark of conversion. And Paul certainly had it. You look at 1 Peter 1.5 and uh, it says that you, believers, are being kept, are being preserved till the end by God through your faith. Right? God keeps you through your faith. So, if you're not keeping personally in faith and in love, right? if you're not persevering in faith and in love, then what it tells us, what it tells the church is that really God is not keeping you because He's never saved you in the first place. You're not His own. And so when we see an older man who's have, who has been kept in the faith by God all these years and who is keeping himself in the faith and who's keeping himself in love, who's persevering as a godly man, wow, there you have the total package. You have the full portrait of what God would want for every man. And that is such an apt finish and close to Paul's instructions for older men. Older godly men have this kind of staying power. And they achieve it through one of the following six ways. And uh, there's countless more. These are very quick. One of these six ways, perseverance. You want to build up perseverance. This is how you, you can go about starting down that road. First of all, I think one thing that we all learn as we get older, and particularly you know, talking to older men, what they know right off the bat is that they remember that life is out of whack. Right? Life is out of whack. It's out of joint. Life doesn't make sense. Um, you know, that's why you need the gospel. That's why you need Christ. Apart from that, everything is just chaos and meaningless and hopeless. Life is not supposed to work out evenly and balance itself out like some equilibrium. And you can't master life. You can't tame it. You can't control it. You can't have it down. But you can shepherd your own heart. You can, you know, seek to attempt to master doctrine, master application, you know, master service and fellowship in the church. They understand that life is out of whack. They don't expect life to be comfortable and neat and for them to conquer life. That's the foolish dreams of youth. But a godly older man says life is out of whack. Secondly, they have an eternal perspective. They have an eternal perspective. Again, younger men tend to run for today. They run for this week. It's all about now. All about quick results. Uh, even in my own life, just this great tendency in my heart to be impatient, to want to grow faster than um, I possibly can. Like to skip steps, you know, in between and get to Z from A, right? Without going through the whole alphabet. Um, but older men, right, they've, they've quieted their hearts they see the big picture, they step back, and they see the ultimate picture, really, and they run for an eternal prize, an imperishable wreath, right? as Paul calls it, a crown of righteousness. They're running for their treasures in heaven. They're running for the, uh, the, the final evaluation of Jesus Christ. 
on the Bema seat. They run for eternity. And with that kind of future, eternal uh, perspective shaping everything, man, the way that they go about their career, their money, you know, their work, family, personal worship, flock Bible studies, personal Bible study, how they listen to sermons, you know, what they do with their possessions and things, what they do with their leisure time, all of those things over the years, they've, they, they, they've understood like so many things are not as funny to them anymore, right? As you get older, you don't laugh at Tom and Jerry, I hope not, right? You don't like start giggling at, you know, like kitty cartoons. They get older, they've moved away from these things and they, they see that very few things are important. You know, very few things are important. Very few things really last and really matter. And they are going to focus all of their heart and their energies on those few things. Does that make sense? They're going to leave childish things behind. Thirdly, they make goals. An older godly man has made goals and he has carried them through. Now, staying power, perseverance, godly perseverance requires foresight. You can't just run around aimlessly like a chicken with his head cut off. You have to know yourself, know your weaknesses, limitations, and set specific spiritual goals, also life goals. I'm not discounting them, but just in our context, spiritual goals and run to achieve them. Now, he doesn't over-goal, is that overly make goals, you know, and say, I'm going to do like 35 different things. I mean, kind of like, you know, I don't want to bash Edwards, but, you know, he, he made all those resolutions. And later on in life, I believe he, he kind of, not regretted, didn't recant them, but kind of said that he made those things, uh, he made those resolutions in a kind of a spirit of youthful haughtiness. Let's say you have 70 different goals that you are going to accomplish. You lay them out and you're a young man. You say, I'm going to do every one of these things. Well, let's take one day at a time, right? Let's take, take one thing at a time. Let's take one spiritual discipline at a time, one sin at a time. That's the kind of uh, maturity. That's the kind of sobriety that an older man has in making goals. We, young men, we just tend to do things. Budget, what's a budget? Psh, you know, health, what's health? Let's eat more hot dogs, you know? <laughs> Time, what's time? It's 3 a.m. Let's watch another movie, right? Right? We just do things. And, and, and that's why young people are good. There's so much energy, so much life, right? But thinking long-term, you know, X's and O's, getting their lives in order from the practical all the way to the spiritual, the whole gamut of life, that's another story. And younger men, we all need to learn to pace ourselves and we all need to make realistic goals and then have our lives oriented around those things. Fourthly, practice self-control. Practice self-control. Practice discipline. 1 Corinthians 9, 25-27. I think that passage has just colored all of these, uh, these six ways that I'm talking here, talking about here. Um, Paul says that he runs for an imperishable wreath you know, that Christ will hand him by exercising self-control in all things. He doesn't leave anything. All things. Not without aim, not beating the air, right? But he disciplines his body and makes it a slave. He gives his body a knockout punch so that he can put it under submission. So that fleshly lust and all these things are not spread out all over the place, but his life is under control so that he makes it to the end. He's not all stumbled up in all these different sins and all these different entanglements, you know, whether they be sin or the petty and frivolous things of life that you can get caught up in. No, right? He's self-controlled. He disciplines himself for the purpose of godliness because, you know, he may be a young buck and he exercises, he's strong. But the older man has said, you know, I did that. I did too much of that. 
and I threw away my gym membership, and now I am disciplining myself for the purpose of godliness because godliness has profit now, but the greater reward, the greater profit is in eternity. Right? It, it holds promise for the life to come. Fifthly, be responsible. To be sound in perseverance, you have to be responsible. You have to you know, take the tasks and charges that have been given to you, and you have to faithfully carry them out. Paul says, I have fought, I have finished, I have kept. Right? Perfect tense, meaning he did it in the past, and the results are continuing to the present. These are men who have been given a charge in their work, in their family, in the church. They have fulfilled their responsibilities through and through. They make a vow and they do it. They make a vow and they do it. That's how you persevere. But they also exercise restraint. There's the balance here. right? The, ba- the, the restraint comes when they know how to turn something down because of current obligations or current station in life or, you know, I'm just not the man for that. And, and they, you know, humbly turn things down. They don't just do things to do them. And that's youthful pride. And so when they say something, when they give their word, either yes or no, Man, you can trust in it. That's, that's reliable. That's gold. That means something. Examples in the Bible. Psalm 15.4. You know? Who may ascend to your holy hill and abide with God? He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Keeps his word. Doesn't matter what. You know, Judges 11.35. Remember Jephthah's vow? The next thing I see, I'm going to sacrifice. Foolish vow. Rash vow. No doubt. But he says this. For I have given my word. He sees his daughter, he has to sacrifice. For I have given my word to the Lord and I cannot take it back. These are dutiful, reliable men who act on principles rather than passions. If you act on passions, you're not going to get very far. Emotionally driven, pride-driven, you're not going to have that staying power. You're going to flame out very early on. Sixthly and last, they exercise patience. They exercise patience. I think unsoundness in perseverance shows up big time in impatience, in, um, in quitting, in giving up, in not going the extra mile for someone or somebody, or something, a task or somebody. just want to read several verses for you here and uh, you'll get the idea. Hebrews 6.12 So that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You've got to be patient. You've got to stay the course to make it to heaven. Romans 12.12 12 says they are patient. you have to be patient in tribulation. Patient in afflictions. 2 Timothy 2.24 says to be patient when you're wronged. Right? Going the extra mile to let Christ shine when people go against you, when people harm you. Ephesians 6.18 With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit and with this in view, being on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Right. Romans 2.7 To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, to them they're given eternal life. Right. Persistence and continuance in doing good works. John MacArthur writes of this characteristic, He never loses heart in spite of disappointment unfulfilled aspirations, physical weakness, and growing loneliness, end quote. So with all that he's gone through, all the sufferings, he is fully assured that God, uh, that reliance upon God works, that selfless love is profitable, and his heart isn't calloused by life's hardships. Right? Instead, his 
heart can now take on everything well. It's softer and tender, more tender to the Word and to people. It cannot be beaten. It cannot be overwhelmed. It's prepared and equipped and adequate for every good work, for every situation in life. Its strength is more than ever firmly focused and fixed in Jesus Christ. Sound in faith and love and in perseverance. Such an older man is, you know, better than ever. You don't want to trade him in for the newest model. You don't need to upgrade him because he upgrades himself. He is invaluable. He is an invaluable and rare and precious commodity to the church of Jesus Christ. The church today is dying. I mean, it's just dying out there, American church. For just such men. Right? Nothing fancy, nothing flashy. Just these kind of men, healthy and vibrant and strong in these three areas, to bring steadiness and to bring some backbone and to bring some dignity and loftiness to American and you know, hopefully world evangelicalism. Psalm 92 says that the righteous man right, will still yield fruit in old age. This is verse 14. They shall be full of sap and very green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. That is the older man. He's, you know, with the church supported by these kind of pillars or beams, if you will, plethora of thriving older men, older trees, the gospel and the life that you know, flows out of it and to the world, that will look just marvelous. It will look crazy. They won't, they, they'll be astounded. They won't believe it. It will look all the more beautiful and all the more attractive. I had here several concluding thoughts, but you know, I just, I just want to end with this one. He begins, you know, faith, love, perseverance. He begins with faith. And often you'll see faith, love, and hope together. That's the common triad. Here, uh, as in one other text, there's faith, love, and endurance. Faith, love, and perseverance. And I think by faith being mentioned as the first quality, uh, there's something to that. You know, faith is the heart of the Christian life. Your reliance and dependence upon God as a child to the Father is really the, the core of the Christian life. It's not, it's the, you know, faith is the, is the key that opens the door to salvation, so to speak. The faith that's given to you by God. I'd ask you this, as men, as a church, if we're going to build soundness in these three areas, and if we're going to be the older men who support the church in years to come, as our children go older, and as our children look up to us, whether for good or for bad, the question I want to present to you now is, is right now, at this time in your life, when life presents options and choices to you, do you choose the one that automatically makes you feel good, that's, that's, that's convenient, that's more comfortable, that's easier? Or do you choose the one that requires more faith? And usually, the one that requires more faith will require more love and will, in fact, require more perseverance and will build you up and will stretch your heart so that you will be this kind of steady, strong, godly man. What choice will you make? Will you make the choice today that requires more faith, that requires more trust, 
that requires more confidence in God? Or will you make the choice that says, I'm living life safely. I'm living life for myself. I'm living life trusting in myself, in my own wisdom, in my own strength, and in my own lack of wisdom, in my own lack of power. And because of that, there's fear. And because of that, there's anxiety and worry. Because of that, you can only do so much. And instead of a life that can be lived fully and maximally for the glory of God, you have a life that barely hangs on. A sound in faith, love, perseverance kind of Christian doesn't barely hang on. They don't barely hang on, but because they are clinging fast with all of their heart and strength to the Lord Jesus Christ, they are doing excellently. They are doing well. They are swimming and they stand out, and they hold up the church, and they are worthy of imitation. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we look at these characteristics and traits of a godly older man, all the way from temperance and dignity and sensibility to the three areas of soundness, in Titus 2, and we are immediately humbled. Were it not for your grace, attaining these things would be impossible. But because you've provided grace through your Son, Jesus Christ, and through the Spirit that indwells each and every one of us here, we have grace upon grace to the fullest to really develop and cultivate these virtues now as a young church. Most of our men, being young men, have ample time and room we can all cultivate and develop these characteristics so that we can have a lifetime of bearing ripe fruit of consistent character that glorifies you, Lord, and that adorns your truths, adorns and makes beautiful the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the world and the unbelievers may be put to shame rightfully. They may look at their own lives and see the chaos and see the lack of steadfastness, the lack of stability, the lack of wisdom and sobriety, and really look at the church as a, as, a, as a beacon of hope, as a beacon of strength. God, give us all, men in particular, this type of soundness, this type of strength this day. May you take our pulse and may we find areas where we're dying. We need help. Lord, give us grace to grow in these areas and so that in, even in a month's time, in a year's time, five and ten years down the road, as we check our pulses continually, Lord, according to the Word of God, you will find us a healthy and a vibrant group of men, and with that, a healthy and a vibrant group of believers here at Cornerstone. May you bless our efforts, O God. May you be greatly glorified in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.